song said, let's not talk about politics, religion, and because it's a country song, or her. We're not going to talk about politics, religion, or her. So if some of you know the song, that's the way it, it goes. So we're not supposed to talk about politics, religion, or her. I'm not going to talk about her today, but we are going to talk about both politics and religion because we're Christians looking at the Bible and the Bible is speaking about the authorities or the ruling authorities. And interesting enough, we all need to hear this because many of us, well, let's say this, all of us have perspective on the ruling authorities or on politics, whether they be good or whether they be bad. Everybody at all times always has. Mark Twain said this. He said, suppose you were a member of Congress and suppose you were an idiot. And then he says, but I repeat myself. Now, that's how many of us view politics. Oh, this is kind of crazy. Um, they're idiots. They're morons. Or we put all of our hope in that. We put all of our eggs in the baskets of who might get elected. But fact is today, here's a burden I feel, is that many of you that live in this room that don't even live in Flagstaff or that do live in Flagstaff don't know who the mayor of Flagstaff is. Or the only way that you know a city council election is coming up because you may drive by signs. I think I see them, but the years of the signs blend together. I think they're out there right now, but I'm not sure they're out there. Did you even know that your state is had about to have an election of a governor? Um, two years from now, there'll be a new presidential election, but stats say that the decline in voter turnout is unparalleled. And yet many of us live in the realities of freedoms or we live under the reality that we are in a democracy and yet we don't take up our responsibilities. We either poo-poo them, think they don't really matter, think it doesn't really matter to you, it certainly doesn't matter in my relationship to God, or vice versa. We put it all in there. Jesus has this uh, amazing moment in the Gospels where these people come to kind of trap him. And they ask him if they should pay taxes to Caesar. And the reason they did that of asking him to, if they should pay taxes to Caesar was they knew if he said no, he'd be in trouble with the Roman government. But if he said yes, he'd be in trouble with the Jews. Jesus' response has baffled people throughout the ages since he said it. And here's what he said. He said, take a coin out of your pocket. Whose inscription is on it? They said they did. And they said, it's Caesar. He said, then rend to Caesar... Ren just means give. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. In that statement, Christ both gave validation, validity to the governing authorities, to government, to politics, and he put limits on it. He gave validity to it. Governments are good in his mind. They're valid. Give to them what is due them, but give to God what is God's. And the image that's on human beings is the image of God. He's saying, then give me your whole self. He both validated and put limits on the role of government. This passage today is Paul just bringing forward to us the reality of God's view of government and specifically how God's view of government helps govern a society to love God and love their neighbors, to more completely establish a loving society. 
Now, if you're ever doing Bible study, context is everything. You got to know there's a sentence before the sentence you're reading, and there's a chapter before the chapter that you're reading. And here's one thing many of us don't realize when it comes to government. Many of you, if you studied the Bible, may know that Romans chapter 13 is the place you go for God's view or the biblical view of government. But what we miss oftentimes is that the section right before it in my Bible is called the marks of a true Christian. It's all about love. Then there's government, and then the next section is love. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist or a literary critic to understand if there's a section about love, a section about government, and a section about love, what ultimately is the section about government about? Love. God has instituted government, the rulers and the authorities, to establish more loving societies to establish more loving societies. So we're going to look today specifically at these three things. What ultimately is the reason for government from God's perspective? What is the role of government? And then what is our response to government? The reason for government, the role of government, and our response to it. So here's the first one. The reason for governing authority. This is really simple. The reason for governing authorities, the reason governments exist, therefore politics exists, at whatever level, your neighborhood associations, your city councils, your state legislatures, the federal Congress, the President of the United States, at whatever level, the reason ruling authorities exist is because of God. Let's read the first three verses in Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. Paul kind of just establishes it, right? God, God, God. When I was uh, still living at home, I've now lived in Arizona for 18 years, came out here to go to Arizona State University. Go Devils. If there's any Wildcats out of here, you can make your way out the back uh, quickly. I came out here to go to Arizona State University. When I still lived at home, um, there are these responsibilities. My father's a coach, and he's kind of an iconic coach. He's got a gravelly voice, um, just does what a coach does. You know, if you're on time, you're late. You're responsible. You're supposed to meet your responsibilities. So there's these moments. My dad's a very early riser because he was an educator and a coach. He'd wake up really early, and he'd walk into my room every couple weeks, and he'd say, are you going to mow the lawn? And I'd, like, roll over and look at the clock. I'm like, Dad, it's 6 12 in the morning and the red 612s right in my face it's 612 in the morning I'm not gonna mow the lawn right now you are a nutcase right and so I'd wait and I'd kind of fall back asleep it'd take me a little time and then I'd fall back asleep in more time than once I lived in a basement in Colorado right by my window would come this mower right and it would just mow right by my window and then it wouldn't go and then 
and kind of fade, it would just sit there. And he would sit right by my window till I'd wake up and walk out and go, you're a nutcase. The neighbors hate your guts. Like, what are we doing? And you're doing something wrong to me. Now, if I lived in an apartment and that happened, there would be somewhere to go to complain. But when I sit, I'd be like, who do I complain to? Right? Like, he rules this place. He's my father. I can complain to my mom. It's not going to do any good. She's going to say, you know what? You should probably mow the lawn. But it's my dad and it's my house. That's a little like what Paul's doing here. Why do the governing authorities exist? God. Like, what do you say to that? Uh, I still don't like it. Well, God instituted them. And therefore, there's a way to view it and a way to respond to it. There is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist, exist because God placed them there. Now, let me give you a little context of this passage, because I know if you're conservative out there, you're like, your skin's crawling right now, because you're like, I hate Barack Obama. Right? Or if you were liberal, when George W. Bush, if you would have heard this passage, you're like, I hate George W. Bush. But do you realize that this text has had to be read at all times and in all places by all Christians? Which means the Bible's communicating to us that when Adolf Hitler was in power, he was in power by the allowance and sovereign direct plan of God. Right now, around the world, we know some Uzbeks in Phoenix, and there's a horrific dictator in Uzbekistan. And for whatever reason, how to make any sense of it, God is sovereign over the appointing of rulers, or the appointing of rulers, and the dethroning, or taking down of rulers. At this time, Nero was the king. At the time the book of Romans was written, King Nero had not gone on his quest to persecute and light Christians on fire quite yet, but there was grave injustices in the Roman Empire. And he is writing this to the Christians fundamentally to say, don't concern yourself to such a level with lesser lords. Remember, these lords are only in place because... I have placed them there. So even in the midst, in the face of grave injustice, you realize two things. That authority's been there by, been placed there by God, which should humble you to say God's behind it. And at the same time, God is over this king or this ruler. Therefore, that should embolden you to be able to stand in the face of it when grave injustice, unsubmittable injustice is happening in the empire, kingdom, or country, or city. Do you see that? This statement of all authority is given by God brings forth both humility to us and boldness to us. Do you see that? It both allows us to submit because God's behind us and it should humble the ones who are in authority and the subjects of that knowing God's done it, therefore in obeying this authority, I'm obeying God or in disobeying this authority, I'm disobeying God. God is the great neutralizer. Before him, we all stand on level playing ground. Before God, kings and presidents and peasants 
all stand before him as creatures because there's only one creator. But authorities have been given and exist and are placed in place by God. So what does that mean for us, Redemption Flagstaff? What does that mean for you if you claim Christ? Well, verse 1 says it. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. It's simple. It's a recognition God is behind it all. All of life is all for Jesus, including government and politics. At every level. I, I wanna, I'm going to keep saying at every level because one of my biggest concerns for us as Christians, who you're going to see in this passage, are called to be the best citizens in any jurisdiction. Christians are to be the best citizens in any jurisdiction, in any kingdom, in any country, in any neighborhood, in any state. And the reason I want to say at all levels is because many of you, when you think politics, only think federal, which means national, for those of you who haven't taken your government courses yet. It just means national. We think about the president. We think about the house. We think about the Senate on a national level. But you know, we have those also in our state and you have governing authorities that you are called to get involved in in your neighborhoods or in your towns and cities, at your university. Government exists, just so you know, by God because God made a world that he intends to be ordered. Okay? Government exists for the purpose of order. So the way NAU is ordered is there's governance to it. The way Flagstaff is ordered is there's governance to it. The way Arizona is organized is order, governance, right, to it. Governance is good, therefore governments are good. Therefore, politics aren't evil. What's the role of the governing authority? What is the role of the governing authority? Here's the role of governing authority. Government is God's servant for our good. Government, the ruling authorities, are God's servants for our good. Have you ever thought about that? Government as a servant. I remember one of the first times I ever heard a guy talk about the good of business he said to me, you know that business, the purpose of business in God's economy is the same purpose as the church. To be a servant of society. Now the way in which the church serves society or business serves society is different, but it's there to serve society. Government is no different. It is God's servant. This is very clearly established in this passage. Look at verse 4 through verse Six, really. He says it three times. For he, speaking of the ruling authorities or the government, is God's servant for your good. Down a little ways. He says, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath and the wrongdoer. And then later on down in verse six, for because of this, you also pay taxes. The authorities are ministers of God. That word servant is the word deacon. How many of you guys have ever been in churches, raise your hand for me, that have deacons? You know the word deacon is the Greek word diakonos, which just means servant or minister. So literally government is said here to be the deacon of God. 
Deacons in a church are the ones who are supposed to care about the welfare of the whole community. Those who need food, they're going to bring food. Or the widows that need care, they're going to help care for them. Government is a servant of God for our, our totality, the common or the public good. So if you walk out of here and say, I hate politics, I hate government, you are neglecting something that God has instituted in our world for your good. So if we were in the back at a concert in this very same room and I said to you, hey, do you want what's good for you? A hundred out of a hundred people would say yes. They may be a little suspicious on what you were about to say was good for them. Like, I don't want any Montevi fruit juice or I don't want a new nutrition plan. I know you're just trying to make money. This is actually about you. So when somebody typically says this is good for you, you think what's in it for you? Because most of the time our world operates on a transactional basis. I'm going to give you something, but I'm going to get something out of it. God doesn't operate like that. God operates on a transformational basis. He really is out for his whole creation and for our good. So when he says to you, something is for your good, I promise you, whether you believe this or not, no matter how the church has treated you in the past, no matter how Christians have treated you in the past, that's their issue, their problems, their sin. God is out for your good. I just came to the edge of this carpet and I thought it was the edge of the stage and I literally thought I was just about to fall over. But So warn me if I start getting close. God is out for your good. And God is not like all the other people. He really is out for your good. And he says here, government has been given by him for our good. Now, there's different ways government functions for our good. When I was, a, I was a, an athlete at ASU, let me correct that. I was a baseball player at ASU, okay? I don't know if baseball players are athletes. I was a baseball player at ASU. But we would do physical conditioning at times for two different purposes. Most of the time, it was to get us in shape to perform better. It was for our good on the positive level. It didn't always feel like that, but it was for that reason. At other times, when freshmen talked and acted like idiots in study hall, the whole team would be called out for physical conditioning as punishment to us. We don't act like that. The baseball players at ASU aren't going to be the one that all the teachers look at and go, they're absolute clowns. So the coach would establish that, that we are going to have a good reputation. And so at times that we acted like idiots, he would say, get to the track tomorrow at 5 a.m. And it'd be dark outside. And I remember this one time vividly. We started running and he's like, just run. And I'm looking and I'm going, my first class is at 740. So I know, I know two hours and 40 minutes, I'm, I'm going to have to be done. He's going to have to give us a little bit of time to get out to class. But he said, just run. And we're running like, and kind of laughing. It's the track at ASU was, was flat. So there was no hills you could dive over and hide or no trees to hide behind. So we just kept running and we kept running. And at first it was like, we're laughing. <laughs> this is funny. By like the 12th lap, I was going, this is psychotic. This man is psychotic. What is he doing? He has to help us stop running. So at the point where he knows we got to go to class, he says, hey, stop. We all stop. And the minute I stopped, my legs shot with pain. I mean, I'm not lying. Like immediately. And I thought I'd be funny. And so 
in being funny, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the second Ace Ventura pet detective when he gets these like arrows in his legs and he goes, ah, ah. So I did that, right? We, we stop and I'm like, ah, ah. And then we all come together and the coach goes, same time, same place tomorrow. And I was like, ah. Now that, in the end, for the team, was punishment for our good. Now, government has been given. It says very clearly here, don't be scared of government. Don't be worried about government unless you do bad. For if you do bad, the government doesn't bear the sword for nothing. It doesn't have punishable authority for nothing. If you do evil, there's something to worry about right? Like I'm driving up here to Flagstaff this morning, and when I'm driving 75 miles an hour, when I get up to 85, I'm looking in the mirror, right? Because if I'm doing something bad, there's reason to be worried. But if I'm going 75, even 80, it's like, don't worry about it, boys. Don't look at the, I'm doing fine. But when they're like, dad, it says 75, and that says 87, right? There's something to be worried about. That's what he's saying here. But the government for our good has the ability to punish, on an international stage, on a national stage, whatever it might be, government is there and has the ability to bear the sword, to punish wrongdoers. This is a statement of any government is better than no government at all. Any government is better than anarchy. Now, I know we're in Flagstaff and there's a bunch of people that are anarchists, but according to the Bible, I'm telling you, any government is better than no government at all. And just if you want to look on the world stage right now, Iraq is an incredible test case of this. To be argued or not, yet an incredibly unjust leader in Saddam Hussein, but when governing authorities leave, he's out and the United States removes itself and they can't arrange themselves in a government, it leads to, Syria's the same way, things like ISIS being able to come about. At that point, it's the man with the biggest swords the only people that are strongest or the only people that are craziest that now can rule. And people have to get crazy to deal with the crazies. Afghanistan's very, very similar to this. Government's ability to establish law and order is for our good. But government is not just there to punish the wrongdoer. If you look in this specifically, the first statement is for government is, God for, is God's servant for your good. And then he goes on and says, hey, you need to know something. If you do bad, it's there for your good on bad, but it's also there to order a society. There is a historical development in Christian teaching, and this is really important for you all um, to know this, in, in Christian teaching that basically says, and there's some heavyweights in this camp that I'm about to disagree with. You can call me an idiot or not, but I'll tell you why I disagree with them. But there's some heavyweights in this camp that would fundamentally say that government only exists because of sin. So let me just start by saying why I don't agree with that. Now, their logic is the only thing Romans 13 is saying is that it's there just to punish the evildoer. At that point, government, all it is is a police state. It's only there to punish the wrongdoer. I don't think that's true. I don't think government is only to be a police state. If it ran like a police state, we'd all rebel and say this is horrific. We don't think government is just a police state. But if government is only there because of sin 
and not because of positive reasons, whether there were sin in the world or not. Now, this is where we've got to understand that we're finite. So even when the Bible speaks about the future, that we will live on a real earth that heaven has come down to, there will be real streets. It'll look a lot like Flagstaff, just without sin. So colors will be brighter because sin hasn't affected it. Right? The air will be crisper because sin hasn't affected it. But it's going to look like this. If it's going to look like Flagstaff does now, with just without sin involved, there'll still need to be streets. You know, in heaven, we're not going to fly. It's just going to be like real life without sin. I don't think that just because sin is in the world is why I can't see through a building. I think that's part of me being finite, part of me being a creature. So if there's a building still there, I still need traffic lights. Who sets up traffic lights but somebody that you've appointed to say, hey, figure out how to order this place. That's not because of sin. That's because there's a lot of people in Flagstaff, more in Phoenix, even more in New York. There's a way in which there's an order to life in which people have to plan and organize something. So government is there, yes, to punish the wrongdoer, but also to establish the best, most organized, just society that can possibly be there for our good. For our good. He then goes on and he says, he starts getting now into our response to government, how we should act. And he says this in verse five, therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of your conscience. Here's what that means. Your conscience, if you're a Christian, the Bible's clear that your conscience should be being formed according to God, according to the word of God. Sin, the Bible says, sears our consciences to not know what's right and what's wrong. But a Christian's conscience ultimately gets enlightened to the truth of the world because we know the true story of the world. Now, if you're in this room right now and you go, man, this is everything I hate about Christians. They're so arrogant and so narrow. I would just say to you, everybody has a worldview, but I want to make very clear, Christians do not believe that the Bible is one truth among many truths. Christians believe this is true truth. We as Christians believe this is the true story of the whole world, that God made it, he narrates it, he communicates it to us in his love for our good. So our conscience has been enlightened to the true story of the whole world, and therefore, for the sake of our conscience, we are to submit ourselves to the governing authorities because we know there is a Lord behind all of this, the Lord God, the Lord Jesus Christ. For the sake of our conscience, we don't just submit to the government because they may punish us in fear and trepidation, but we submit because our consciences have been shaped by the word of God, and we submit because we know government is God's servant for our good and for the good of all of those, whether they are believers in Jesus Christ or not. Government is given for our good, so we submit to government accordingly because of that. He then goes on. Our response to the governing authority is to submit to pay taxes, to give honor, and to take all the resources we have 
all the power we've been given by God in whatever land we live in, under whatever governing authorities, to help that government function according to the way God designed it to function. Every person is to be subject and honor the ruling, honor the ruling authorities. He goes on, he says this in verse 6. For because of this, you must pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So what is our response? I have kids and, you know, the Bible talks about that there are authorities even in the home. That's parents. You all believe that. You never let a three-year-old run your house, right? That'd be bad. If I let my three-year-old run the house, there'd be popcorn on the floor, there'd be peanut butter all over the place, the refrigerator door would be open, they wouldn't wipe their bottoms after they go to the bathroom, it'd be a mess, it'd stink, it'd be a, a train wreck. So you believe there's authority. In, in our house, we'll talk about this, that the Bible has called you to obey your parents, right, at all times. So we have this phrase where we say, we teach them, it's kind of a little chant, we obey all the way, right away with a happy heart. Okay, we'll say that. Obey right away, all the way with a happy heart. Now, we'll get to a minute if ruling authorities are nutcases or parents are nutcases. I get that. I, I understand that many people have used this, these things for the purposes of abuse, um, but we're trying to teach our kids these, these realities. So obey right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. And the reason for a happy heart is if you've ever been around kids and you've been around them because it's many of you in your workplaces with your boss, right? You know you got to do it, so you obey. You do it right away, all the way, but you're doing it like this. Right? Like, and maybe with something else other than just a fist, right? You're, you're sitting there at that moment. But he, listen to this passage. He says, pay to all what is owed them. Okay, I can do it. I'll just give it to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. And then he says this, respect to whom respect is owed. Now you may go, but they're, they're totally not respectable. But he's saying because government exists, respect them. Paul speaking to Timothy says, pray for kings at all times and all places so that you may live at peace. Give respect where respect is due and honor where honor is due. Is due. That's the what we're trying to say to our kids, do it with a happy heart. Do it with a heart that isn't going begrudgingly, I'm doing this. Do it because in so doing, you're honoring the Lord who is out for our good. So really simple. Let me just say this. Pay your taxes. Redem I'm talking to redemption flags now. From God's word, pay your taxes. From God's word, pay tribute. From God's word, pay respect, pay honor. The way in which you can pay respect and pay honor is by using your God-given authority. This is where it's unique to us as Americans. We live in a democracy. When this was written, this wasn't written in a democracy. Majority of places around the world that are called to submit to their authorities is not in a democracy. You and I have been given power by God to utilize it to help government function for the good of all, the way God designed it, for the good of all. Those who 
believe in Jesus and all of those who don't believe in it. Government is for the good of all of them. So we involve ourselves at this level. So I would be amiss in this room if I didn't say to all of you, if you don't vote, I don't believe you're obeying this passage in the Bible. I don't believe you're coming under what God has given us in this world to exert your influence for the common good. If you don't pay taxes, I know you're not obeying this passage. I think we need to be all the more involved. Fundamentally, the response of Christians to the ruling authorities is this. Be the best citizens in this jurisdiction. The best that they would look at you and praise you for doing good. That we as a church would become models in the city of Flagstaff and in Maricopa County and in Phoenix and in Tucson, that all the churches here would begin to be the model citizens in an environment, in any environment that we're in. Now, I have to say this because if we end here, Without me dealing with unjust rulers or unjust authorities, it would be amiss and it'd have all kinds of questions. This passage, I'm going to be very honest with you, has been used for horrific means in the past. It has been used by the church at times to submit to the Nazis in Germany and to say, well, it tells us to submit to the governing authorities. It was used by Christians in South Africa or people who claim to be Christians in South Africa to justify apartheid. Now, you got to understand something. If there is a Lord behind all of this, this gives us the humility to submit, but also the courage to stand up and call out injustice. To call out injustice. Now, this is not where God says, in this situation, let me give you the five points of how to do it. And in this situation, here's the five points. So we as a church need to live out in creative tension, what does it look like in this situation? In Christian history has all kinds of evidence. There's all kinds of writings on this in the church that not everybody agrees. I know this, we are to submit to authorities, but we are to know there's a Lord behind the authority that we will never disobey in order to obey the earthly rulers. So if government is ever asking you to do something that will make you be disobedient to God, the answer is no. You see that in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5. They were told to not preach the gospel. They said, you determine if it's right to obey you or God, but we're obeying God. And there are many times like that. If you are being called to disobey God, the answer is no. If you're being called to do something totally immoral, even if you work for the government and they're asking you to lie or they're asking you to do all these things, at that point, you need to say, you determine whether it's right for me to obey you or God, but I cannot but obey God. And there are times the government is going to get so warped and so twisted that we as churches are going to have to have very, very prayerful, humble conversations about what does this mean now. But I would tell you what most of us try to rebel against the government for on Facebook and everything directly disobeys this passage. It isn't showing honor. It isn't showing respect. It is placing yourself in an authority that you don't ultimately have. We will model Christ's kingdom in Jesus's lordship in all of life by being humble citizens 
who also have the courage to stand up in the face of injustice to say there is a Lord behind all of this who is the Lord of Lords and who is the King of all kings. And we must, as a church, obey him. Amen? In leaving, I want to say one more time, and I've already said this. I'm going to read this quote from a man I read um, when I was studying this. He says this, As we face the serious decline of democracy, as witnessed, for instance, by the shockingly low turnout of voters in many countries that pride themselves on democracy, Christians today need urgently to consider what it means both that God wants his world to be governed under the rule of appropriate law and that Jesus is already installed as the supreme Lord of heaven and of earth. I want you to think about that. What God has called you to as a citizen what it means to live out all of your life, even your life as a citizen under his lordship and the reality that he and he alone is the Lord of all lords and the king of all kings. We're gonna just take some time, a couple minutes here just in silence for you to reflect and ask God to speak to you from this passage.